Good morning, Oikos. I know it's hard having dogs here on campus, but I am thankful y'all didn't give in to temptation to go over there and pet them. So thanks for being here this morning. And, uh, and so what we're going to talk about today is, is Acts chapter 19. And to give a little background on what's going on in the story is Paul is in Ephesus, and he's been there several years. So he shows up, and when he first gets there, he's in the temple preaching uh, about the kingdom harshly for three months. And then the people of Ephesus get enough of that. And so Paul moves from the temple and goes and hangs out at a lecture hall where he gathered daily, and he's there for two years. So he's there a total of three years, and the story picks up there. And what had happened um, while they, they're in the lecture hall preaching, uh, they start doing awesome things. So they start doing miracles, and people are sent out uh, casting out demons, and they're sent out proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, and people are coming to know Jesus. And, and as they're in the lecture hall, uh, they try to cast out a demon, and the demon says, who are you guys? Who are you, what are you trying to do? And, and people hear about this, and they hear this news, and so they're ready to throw all their sorcery books in the fire, and actually, the books were worth, it says in Scripture, millions of dollars. So that's kind of the culture of Ephesus, is it's a huge place, too. Uh, it's a port city, so there's about 250,000 people that are in this city, and, and the city is a great city that's known for the Greek god Artemis. And so they have a huge temple there of the Greek god Artemis. And so Paul's preaching there, and this is a place where he trains Apollos, if you've heard of that disciple. And so this is a, a place where Paul spent a, a lot, of, a lot, a lot of time. And, and so as Paul is here preaching the gospel of Jesus, uh, people get kind of anxious. And it says that while Paul was here, the entire continent of Asia heard about Jesus, at least heard about it. So, so then this picks up at verse, Acts chapter 19, verse 23. So if you want to turn there in scripture or follow on the screen, we'll pick up right there. About that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. It began with Demetrius, a silversmith, who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. He kept many craftsmen busy. He called them together along with other employed in similar trades and addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. But as you have seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. And he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire providence. Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence, and that Artemis, the magnificent goddess worshipped throughout the providence of Asia and all around the world, will be robbed of her great prestige. So Demetrius, is a, he's a small business owner. Maybe, maybe a little larger than small, but he's a business owner. And, and as Paul is preaching the message of Jesus, he gets a little nervous because there's business being taken away from him. And so what he does is he's gathering people and 
scheming a plan to figure out how he can get rid of this, this little movement, how he can get rid of the people that are maybe attacking his business or maybe people that uh, will take his prestige away. And so as, as Paul's doing this, Demetrius is, is gathering people, people up. So if you, if you put yourself in Demetrius' shoes and think for a second that you had a business and the business was going very, very well. You had employees to worry about. You had income to worry about. You had uh, expenses to worry about. You had prestige. People knew who your business was. People knew about you. And you thought you were doing something that was for God. And then God enters this in a time and creates trouble. We have a disruptive God. We have a God that will change our path, whether we like it or not. And actually, our God is so disruptive that in creation, he turned darkness into light, that he turned sin into salvation, that he turned death into life, and that he turned abandonment into adoption. And that he turned fear and created faith. So we have a very disruptive God. So where in your life this week has God tried to disrupt you? I want you to take a minute and think, where has God interrupted your life this week? For me, I, uh, I don't know if, if y'all know this about me, but I'm always, 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 always connected to my phone. And so for those that are close to me, you know that that's a fact about me, that when anytime there's downtime, I'm reaching in my pocket, checking something, whether it's ESPN, Facebook, most likely, Instagram, I'm always like fidgeting with my phone. And after years of fidgeting with my phone, it's gotten kind of weak, and there's some cracks in the screen, it's getting old, and it actually doesn't hold a full battery. So when you're, you're war- you know, you have your phone and it gets down to like 20% and it gives you that little warning on there, hey, you're at 20% and you're in the red zone, my phone gives me that and then it shuts off. So I don't get that grace period. <laughs> so, <laughs> and when it shuts off, it, you have to, to like fidget with it to turn it back on. And, and like when you charge it, you have to, I have to put the charger in, I have to place it on the wall and like kind of just like tilt it at a perfect angle. It takes me about five minutes to find that. And then it charges overnight. Well, on Thursday night, I thought I had found that perfect angle. I thought it was in there charging overnight. And I wake up the next morning, and it's completely dead. So I have no concept of what time it is. I have class at 8.15 in the morning, so I got to get there for class. I have no concept of what time it is. That device is dead. My laptop is dead. So I'm like freaking out. And, and that actually what happened is I was able to wake up and figure out what time it was, and then, I <laughs> and then I was able to charge my phone a little bit, but then I had to go to the shower. And so usually the, in the shower is a time for me to, to look at scripture, read it, and that usually turns into looking at Facebook, which turns into looking at Instagram, and so I lose that time with God. <laughs> and, 
And so I actually had to intentionally spend time with God this week in the shower. That's my alone time. About, I take like 30-minute showers. It's my alone time to like kind of reflect on the day and figure out what life is. And I didn't have that with my phone this time. And I was like, wait a second. This is actually an intimate time with God now. There's no, there's no distraction on Facebook. There's no, I actually have to put down my phone for 30 minutes. And that was actually kind of difficult, I'll be honest. That was really difficult. 30 minutes is all it was. That was hard for me. And so as I was reflecting on that, I was thinking, man, God, this is something that is ordinary. This is something that's not huge, but it's you interrupting my life and saying, spend time with me. And so how is God disrupting you this week? Is it something as small as, a, as finding a little angle to charge your phone? Or is it something greater? Is it your family? Is God jumping in your life and interrupting what you think of family? Your marriage. Is God jumping in and saying, I'm disrupting your marriage. I'm going to play with it a little bit so you can think differently about it. Is it the way you spend your time? Are you like me? Are you on your devices all the time? Is he trying to disrupt you about your concept of church? I think it's easy for us to jump in the shoes of other people and figure out how they need to do things. It's easy as a church to be so intimately connected to people and live life with them and then say, man, I just wish they would do something different. I wish I could control their life and I wish I could change them. I, wish I, I just wish they would come more often. I wish they would come to MC. I wish their kids would behave differently. I wish their marriage was better. Man, I just wish, wish, wish that this could go differently. Is God trying to show you that church isn't all just about you? Is God trying to disrupt your life and saying it's not all about you? Where is God disrupting you this week? If you're a control freak, raise your hand. Okay, and those that aren't raising your hand are probably thinking, you're, you're not going to control me like that. <laughs> oh. So for you control freaks, this is a big one. I'm not going to let you control me like that, God. I'm not going to let you order my life around like that. You know what? As a matter of fact, I'm going to keep doing what I'm going to do, and you're not going to disrupt that. But we have a disruptive God. And we see that in the story of Demetrius and the story of Paul. Because Demetrius wanted to control everything. He wanted to control the path of his business, the path of his prestige and status. He wanted to control all of that. And God breaks in and says, I have something different for you, and I'm going to disrupt your norm. And we'll pick up at verse 28. So as the the momentum behind Demetrius' frustration is growing, uh, it says in verse 28, at this their anger boiled and they began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. 
Soon the whole city was filled with confusion. Everyone rushed into the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Arch. Oh, I practiced this. Aristarchus. <laughs> who were with Paul, who were uh, traveling companions from Macedonia. Paul wanted to go in too, but the believers wouldn't let him. Some of the officials of the Providence, friends of Paul, also sent a message to him, begging him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. Inside, the people were shouting, some one thing and some another. Everything was in confusion. <laughs> in fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander forward and told him to explain the situation. He motioned for silence and tried to speak. But when the crowd realized he was a Jew, they started shouting again and kept it up for two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So as God is moving Demetrius away from his, what he thinks, and disrupting that, he's actually disrupting the whole entire city of Ephesus. As it says in here, the whole city was thrown into confusion. So if you can imagine a city of 250,000 people, angry, mad, upset, that's kind of a big deal, that the whole city was thrown into confusion. And what I think is interesting about this is God and Paul and the believers had influence on the entire city, that what they were doing was noticed, and what they were doing frustrated people. And the people got angry, and they began shouting. Angry and began shouting. And I think for us in America right now, that there's great disruption around. I mean, you can see it on the news. You can see it in your own city. You can see it in your own life. But there's disruption all over the place. And whether that disruption is created by God or whether that disruption is created by sin and fear, whether that disruption is created by anger. But this is all going on. You can't ignore it. And like in the city of Ephesus, you couldn't ignore what was going on. It was impossible to. I'm sure they heard somebody talk about something, at least about this angry mob that's forming. And so for us Christians, as us followers of Jesus, are you willing to follow God into those areas of disruption? Maybe it's the disruption in your marriage. Are you going to follow God in that? Maybe it's the disruption of the political system. Are you going to follow God into that? Maybe it's the disruption in your children's lives. Are you going to follow God into that? Because what the followers of Jesus were doing in this is they were there. They created the disruption by following God because God is disruptive. They weren't creating it on their own. And so the, all the believers had influence on the city and the amphitheater that they went to, it's a, it's a kind of famous amphitheater. Um, I should have put a picture up there so I, I forgot to do that but it, it, hold, it held 26,000 people. So in the city of Ephesus, when you came in the port and you pulled in, 
the, would look over here and the amphitheater would be here. And it's 26,000 people could, could hold there. So if you can imagine how many people that is, filled this amphitheater. And this amphitheater was a place where they'd have public debates, where they would have um, gladiator events. So they would have animals and all that stuff there. They would have, uh, this is where they would do court. This is where they'd have plays. This is where they would discuss a lot of things. So people knew to gather there. So they said, oh, a disruption's happening. Let's go to the amphitheater. And the whole city was in this disruption, and the whole city was feeling this turmoil. And some people were confused, actually, why they were there. They got caught up in the, the sandstorm. They got caught up in the anger. They got caught up in the confusion. But when God disrupts, he's not a God of anger and confusion. I know that's hard to believe. Because sometimes I think God is a God of anger. When I mess up, I think he looks at me and says, when? You messed up this time. I'm mad at you. Because that's how earthly relationships happen sometimes. Especially the ones that you're tightly closed with. Your wife messes up. Your husband messes up. You get angry. You get hurt. But God is not a God of anger and confusion. So when God is disrupting, the believers are there to represent him. So what is your reaction to disruption? Do you know why you're angry? Do you know why you're confused? Are you following the mob? Are you following your own message? Are you following your own voice? Do you put blame in other places? So we'll pick up at verse 34. At last, the mayor was able to quiet them down enough to speak. Citizens of Ephesus, he said, everyone knows that Ephesus is the official guardian of the temple of great Artemis, whose image fell down from us from heaven. Since it's an undeniable fact, you should stay calm and do nothing rash. And have you brought these men here? Or you have brought these men here, but they have stolen nothing from the temple and have not spoken against our goddess. If Demetrius and the craftsmen have a case against them, the courts are in session and the officials can hear the case at once. Let them make formal charges, and if they are complaints about other matters, they can be settled in legal assembly. I'm afraid we are in danger of being charged with rioting by the Roman government, since there is no cause for all this commotion. And if Rome demands an explanation, we won't know what to say. They dismissed them, and they dispersed. God's not worried about offending anybody. He's not worried about offending you. He's not worried about offending people that don't follow him. He's not worried about offending anybody. And that's part of the reason why he's disruptive.
He's not worried about offending anybody. But he is worried about and cares about and wants people to follow him. And that's why he jumps in and disrupts. Because he's not concerned about if we're going to get our feelings hurt. He's not concerned if we're going to um, do the right thing. He's not concerned if we are going to be okay because he knows we are going to. Because he claims us and says, you're my child. I'm going to gather you near to me. And so in times of chaos around the city, in times of chaos around the country, around the times of chaos in your life, he gathers you close. And God's done a lot of offensive things throughout Scripture, if you look at it. I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah, um, Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt. I mean, how much death and destruction is in the Old Testament? I mean, he wipes out the entire creation except for Noah and his family. That's pretty offensive. God does a lot of offensive things, but he's not concerned about offending us. He's concerned about claiming us as a child. Because as God disrupts our life and shakes our foundation of what's going on, you'll begin to see a little bit of him in that, working in that situation. Because as he's moving us from what we know and what we think we know, it starts opening the picture a little more clear for God and what he's saying and what he's doing in that situation. Because as God breaks in, our foggy identity that we don't really know begins to clear up a little bit. It's like a dirty window that he comes in and and cleans just a little bit so he can peek through just a tiny bit. And you can see God in that situation. And so Paul knew who he was, so he knew where he was going. Paul wanted to get into the riot and He wanted to be in the midst with all the believers. He wanted to be in there where the 26,000 people are rioting. Paul wanted to go there probably because he wanted to speak the words of God to the people. He wanted to be in the midst of that chaos. He wanted to be in the middle of that because he knew that God had given him the power and the authority to speak his words that would change the entire population. And so Paul knew who he was. That's why he was able to do what he did. Paul wasn't acting out of his own authority. He wasn't acting out of his own power. As a matter of fact, he had one of the biggest disruptions in the New Testament because before Paul was Paul, he was Saul. And he was killing followers of the way. He was murdering them. He was finding them and cutting them off. He was seeking to destroy God's people. And God disrupted his life and says, why are you persecuting me? And Paul took that opportunity to follow God. And so Paul knew who he was, so he knew what he was going to do, and he knew where he was going. And that's my encouragement for y'all today, too, is that you know who you are. Because when you know who you are, you know how to respond when God disrupts your life. Because if you're a child of God and you believe that God is good, then when he's moving you off of your strongholds, it's not going to be a bad thing. It might be tough. It might be hard. But you know in the end, it's going to be discipline. It's going to be good. Because you're a child of him, and that's his character to love you. 
But if you don't know who you are and you're trying to figure that out and you are insecure or you're looking for the approval of people, that's how you end up like Demetrius. I don't know who I am, so I just want to continue to, to grow my business. I don't know who I am, so I'm just going to try to do what I want to do. And you have no response when the foundation is shaken in your life. But when you're a child of God, you know your anchor, you know your foundation, and you're secure in that. So you're able to move. So Paul knew who he was, so he knew where he was going. He was not worried or concerned about death. He's not worried or concerned about what might happen to his friends. He wasn't worried or concerned about what sandals he was wearing or what robe he was wearing. He wasn't concerned about his status as a worker. He wasn't concerned about anything other than doing what God had for him. Even if it meant death for Paul to walk in front of that assembly, he was prepared for it, and he was willing to speak the words of the Lord there. And I don't know about you, but I've walked into rooms multiple times and have totally forgotten where I was going or what I was doing. And I'm sure that might have happened to you once or twice, for Ken maybe 60 times. And so in the middle of disruption, in the middle of confusion and anger, God is standing firm. And one of the coolest passages in the Old Testament for me is when Elisha is fleeing for his life, and people are trying to murder him and kill him, and God is asking him, where are you going? And Elisha said, I'm away from these people that are trying to kill me. And Paul, or not Paul, Elisha goes up on a mountain, and God creates a big earthquake a big thunderstorm, a big tornado. And he asks, and God's asking Elisha, what are you doing? And Elisha sees all this thing around him, and God wasn't in the tornado. God wasn't in the earthquake. God wasn't in the lightning. But God was in a small, still whisper. And Elisha, I'm here. Elisha, I got you. There might be people trying to kill you, but you're mine. In the midst of rioting, Paul was able to remain focused. So can we. So can we. Because God's working in those huge events, the disruptions, the riots, God's working in the anger, the confusion, the frustration. God's working in death. God's working in darkness. God's working in turmoil. God's working in all of that. God's working even in your sin. Because he's saying, I got you. You're mine. And 2 Corinthians says, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. When disruptions hits, it's because God wants us to see things differently. God's inviting us to see him differently each day. 
and God is a God of comfort and peace and compassion. And he wants you to know that today. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this gathering time. Thank you for each individual that you've created that's in this room, that's in another country, that's outside our comprehension, Lord. And we thank you for coming to us today in the midst of disruption and showing us that you're good and being here for us and loving us and reminding us that you're comforting us and that you're calling us to follow him. And so I just ask that as we depart today, that we'll be able to hear from you and experience that peace that you have for us. In your name we pray, God. Amen.